0: Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. I absolutely love this church, and I am so excited to get into today's... uh message with you we love God's Word here at New Heights Church so much that we preach it verse by verse and we actually commit to building the entire service around God's Word this is the time of our service where God he can the Holy Spirit speaking to us hopefully all throughout the service but this is the time where we commit his word this is his holy word and and we're giving God the opportunity to have the authority in our lives because he's gonna speak to us through his word directly so uh, we just we're so excited, and I want to, man, I'm, I'm rambling off here because I know I, I'm going to get done on time today. Somebody say amen. It's going to be a miracle in the house. But I do want to, I want to also acknowledge one more person because last week we saw, and I hope I'm saying the name right, but Nicole Pooney, who joins from California, and she's been watching our service. She had said in the in the comment section that next week she's moving to the Buckeye State all the way from California but isn't God good she's been watching our service in California and she can't wait to come here and check it out that's just amazing to me what a what an incredible technology we have so Nicole we just want to say welcome and we want to welcome all of our online guests but we cannot wait to meet you in person next week and you've got so many good things waiting for you here in the Buckeye State Grater's Ice Cream Skyline Chili you are Not going to miss California, I promise you. It's going to be amazing. God is directing your steps. But reach out to the church if you need anything in helping you move. We're just so excited to meet you in person here in the next few weeks. Man, God is good. He's good. Well, today we're going to talk about Peter last week, or not Peter. Well, we are going to talk about what Peter has been telling us about, but Peter is going to hit on time. It's been a good start today. (laughs) Peter is going to talk about time. He's going to continue to build on the theme of suffering. We got all the way through chapter 3 last week. We're going to start chapter 4, and we're looking at the first six verses. But Peter's going to make a shift. He's going to start talking about our time, how everybody has time here on earth, and we need to use it wisely. Did you know that there are 12 months in a year? Yeah, I hope you do. 50 When I was preaching and practicing on Asher, I started out saying that line. He goes, Dad, why don't you take that one out? Everybody knows that. 12 months in a year, 52 weeks in a year, 365 days in a year, 8,760 hours in a year. And FYI, you spend 61 hours on the toilet, just so you know. So 61 hours on the toilet every year. You've got... uh, 5,000 or 525,600 minutes in a year and over 31 million seconds in a year and according to statistics the average American will have 77 of those here on earth the average American right now is living to be 77 years old time is a valuable thing isn't it that's why we've come up with such amazing inventions like the jet airplane I thought it was amazing (laughs) 1939, in a pre-airplane world, traveling was a lot more complicated. America had boats and trains, but these were very time-consuming methods of transportation compared to the modern jet plane. So just for your perspective, it took about seven days for a ship to cross the Atlantic and nearly four days to travel from Los Angeles to New York by train. My grandparents, when they first went out as missionaries with the Assemblies of God, they would be on a boat and it would take a long time for them to get to the country of China. On February 7th, 1996, just 57 years after the first jet aircraft took flight, the Concorde flew from New York to London, and get this, only two hours, 52 minutes, and 59 seconds from takeoff to landing. Is that not incredible? The Concorde flew at twice the speed of sound, an impressive cruising speed when compared to the first jet plane's 372 mile per hour speed limit. So thank goodness for jet airplanes. How about the printing press, right? Before Gutenberg decided to embody the phrase work smarter, not harder books were handwritten and hand illustrated they were extremely limited for this reason and without mass production of literature people were forced to copy and recopy their ideas onto parchment clay or wax and as you can imagine thousands and thousands of texts were not copied and thus lost to years of wear and tear natural disaster and war man i'm having sympathy pains just thinking about this now Thank God for the computer. I'm going to talk about it a little later, but I know some of you remember the typewriter. You'd have to do everything right, and if you made a mistake, you had to start all over. How about the the Model T Ford in 1908? All right, cars were once a privilege of the the, uh, most wealthy of society and leaving the poor and the middle class to navigate dirt roads with horse-drawn carriages because of high production prices. But then in 1913, the assembly line was born and the Ford Model T was mass produced, and the assembly line allowed for cheaper, more efficient work, lowering the price of the Model T from about $825 in 1908 to less than $370 in 1924. And just to give you a little context, 18 or $825 Dollars in 1908 would translate to about 21,000 today, and uh, now you get why so many people would uh, be stuck with their horse and buggy in the dirt roads in the early days. But even if it did take three days, three hours—not three days, three hours—to ride into town for some groceries, thank God for cars, right? Saves time. I told you, the modern computer, I don't know how you guys did it with the typewriter. I am so thankful for the computer. And not even the computer. Look at cell phones today. Man, when we, even when I was young, and I'm not old. I'm, I'm young. You guys remember a time before, before me even. But when I was young, we didn't have things like a, a cell phone where we could fact check the pastor right there and then. He's telling a story. I'm going to look up and see if he's right. Let's see if his Greek word is right. I mean, it's just incredible what we can do today. Mike, I thought my kids were the smartest ever until my wife just said they're asking Alexa, you know I'd give them these questions that I thought were so good that was stump and they come back and answer They just ask Alexa and Alexa tells them it is amazing the technology we have today I caught my son using Alexa to do his math homework. I said that is not okay The internet, man. Before the internet, we had to rely on snail mail for communication. And as we all know, nobody has time for that these days. Although the internet was initially created for means of linking communication, it eventually developed into the Expanse database that you and I are familiar with today. Um, Just amazing what technology has done. But here's my favorite one, and I'll end with this. This is probably the best invention when it comes to saving time, and that's TV meals. Come on. Am I the only one that gets excited about the TV meal? 1954, our world changed forever. Jerry Thomas, a salesman with the Swanson Food Company, he claims credit for inventing the Swanson TV dinner, and boy, did that save time customers were able to choose amongst salisbury steak meatloaf fried chicken or turkey served with potatoes bright green peas special desserts were added on later it was an amazing invention come on and then in 1987 the original tv dinner tray was placed in the smithsonian so i'm not the only one who thinks this is pretty cool okay 1987 the original TV dinner tray was placed in the Smithsonian Institution to commemorate the tray's impact on American culture. Whenever Liz leaves, I literally stock our freezer with these meals, and that's what our kids eat. There's a reason they don't like it when mom travels. But, man, when you're young, you just you just want time to go by quick. You remember that? When you're in kindergarten, I can't wait for school to be over because I can't wait for summer. You get in the summer, I can't wait for summer to be over because I want to be in the first grade. You're, you're tired and you're just you're looking forward to being done with elementary because then you get to move to junior high. Then when you get in junior high, all you can think about is high school. Then when you're in high school, all you can think about is getting out of mom and dad's house, and I'm going to live on my own, and I'm going to go to college. But then when you're in college, all you want is a job or, or all you want to do is get married and then... Yeah, it, you, <laughs> and then all you want to do is have kids. You think, and then once you have kids, all of a sudden you finally get to this place where you just wish time would pause, right? Time would just hold still. I'm finally in that place in my life right now. My whole life I've looked on to plan B. I can't wait for plan B. Let me tell you something. I'm so excited with my life right now. I have the best job pastoring the best church with the best people in the world. I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the world. I've got three amazing kids, and they keep me busy. Life is good. I just want it to pause for a moment, right? Peter, he's building on the idea and the theme of suffering, but, and he's going to do that all the way through the end of the book, but he makes a subtle shift here in verse 1 of chapter 4, and he's going to zero in on behavior of the believer. So he's going to shift. He's still talking about suffering. He's still building on this theme, but all of a sudden he's making this shift, and he's going to talk about our behavior. The relationship between a Christian and sin. And do you know the Bible, especially in James and John, consistently teach that if, if after some time... And it's different for everybody. But if after some time there's not some degree of evidence that a person is living differently before they came to Christ, we, we would expect their salvation, well, maybe to come into question. Well, what are they saying? They, they're saying that continued, unrepentant, ongoing sin is serious business. Deadly serious business, the cruelest and the most unloving thing that any pastor could ever do is to teach the Bible in such a way as to allow people who are in habitual, willing, continuous sin to believe that they have a saving relationship with Christ because they don't, according to the Bible. And if you don't pull that facade from under them, they're never going to genuinely turn to Jesus. And I want to speak to Christians, too, because you guys have heard me preach. I've already preached through the book of Ephesians. we preached through the book of Romans. I've said it over and over again. There is absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. We're not saved through works. And even the gift of faith wasn't us. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. That was given to us by by God the gift of faith but here here Peter and it doesn't contradict other parts of the Bible you've got to, it's like a, a good marriage but the Bible is really clear that uh, somebody who has no evidence no fruit in their life well then maybe their salvation is, is questionable So even for believers, sin is a soul-crushing fellowship with God, robbing, joy-killing thing in the life of a believer. And therefore, even though Christ died for the penalty of sin, sin is a very serious thing not to be taken lightly. God is, and you need to know this, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Okay? God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him and whatever you elevate the most, whatever's most important in your life, whatever you delight in the most, that's where the rest of your world is gonna go. You know, we talk all the time, is Jesus what you are pursuing and chasing in life? this isn't revolutionary here. If Jesus Christ is what you delight in the most, well, then naturally that's going to glorify God. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. You know what my heart's desire as your pastor is? And this is why we preach verse by verse. This is why we value the teaching of God's word like we do, that you would so delight in the incredible value of God in Christ that all of the other garbage that the world offers would be meaningless to you. That's my delight. That's my delight. Or that's my desire. That you so treasure Jesus that you prefer him to sin. Because in the moment of sin you are preferring that sin over Jesus now when Christ came into the world he preached the kingdom of God he said two things you are in heaven with Christ now fight the sins of earth number one listen the kingdom is here it's here right now that's why in Luke chapter 17 verse 21 it says behold the kingdom of God is in the midst of you okay I am the king my rule has arrived in my miracles, in my teaching, in my perfections, in my love, in my death for sinners, in my resurrection, I'm showing that my kingdom, my rule, my saving reign is here. The long-hoped-for, waited-for kingdom has come. That's the first crucial thing, essential thing for, Christi- for Christianity to say. But number two, my kingdom is coming and is not here yet. Okay, Luke chapter 22, verse 18. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes come so what I thought you said it had come what are you saying why are you saying it's coming well it's coming but not yet right so in the big picture of history the kingdom of God has already come in the person and the work of Jesus and yet it's not yet fully completely come not yet come with the most total consummation okay Consummation, There are so many things left that are not yet done that the kingdom promised to do. And the tension affects virtually every part of our Christian life, including our struggle with sin. Okay, so Peter in this text is going to show us how to make the most of our life by taking a stance against sin. Because now think about it. We can either live our lives two ways. We can choose to live in the flesh choose to gratify our sinful nature, or we can choose to live for the Lord and put to death our sinful nature. We have one life, that's what Peter's going to say. How, we, how are we going to live it? Psalms 90 verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's my prayer for you today. Henry David Thoreau said, uh, he said, you can't, you can't kill Sorry, you can't kill time without injuring eternity. I like that quote. I like that. He was on to something. By trivializing time, by wasting the time God has given you, you, you're an injury to eternity. You guys remember the Alabama band? Who likes country here? Nobody. Come on, this is Ohio. Okay, there we go. Come on. The Alabama band sung a song with these lyrics, I'm not that way anymore. Time has closed yesterday's door now if you change one word in that line then basically you have peter's main point of our text peter's saying that we have been changed and therefore we can't live the way we used to when jesus was crucified he completely changed our relationship to sin because of what jesus did we don't have to live the way that we used to live and these six verses are talking about the believer's new relationship to sin because of the cross all right if a person really believes this Well, then they're gonna make the best use of their time. Today, let's consider four directives that Peter gives us concerning making the most of our life here on earth. Before we get into the first one, let's pray. Father, we love you and worship you. So excited to dig into your text. Today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do what only the Holy Spirit can do, and that is reveal your truth to us, that it would penetrate our hearts and our minds, and that we would see true and genuine life transformation. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one in verse one arm yourself with the right attitude look with me at verse one since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whatever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin arm yourselves Peter says this is the exhortation of the passage and what do you arm yourself with well look it says the mind look at verse one the same way of thinking that can be translated attitude. Okay, it's a military term. It refers to a soldier taking up weapons in preparation for battle. And it's been said that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. The Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. Peter isn't teaching anything new here. Paul taught the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 17, when he taught on the armor of God. Peter's using the same kind of language here. So here's what we need to take note of. Last week we learned about doctrine, right? We learned that Jesus Christ suffered for us in his crucifixion, in his proclamation, in his resurrection, and in, in his ascension and his exaltation. Jesus knew that his suffering would lead to victory and, and winning. So as we come to chapter 4, verse 1, we have the practical application now of the doctrine that we learned last week. Sometimes, Sometimes, as believers, we're we're either all for doctrine, we're all about doctrine, and, and they don't put the knowledge that they have into practice, or we're all about experience, and we don't care about doctrine. Okay, this is the tension, but the Bible's a balanced book, so hear me out. What I mean by that is the Bible has both. If you read the Bible, you're going to find that you need the right doctrine. You need the right belief. Because if you have that, then you will have the right behavior, the right principles. Right belief will follow right behavior. Okay? That's why we focus on the Bible so much. Because there's a lot of teaching going around that sounds really good. But it doesn't really line up to this. And that's a problem. So we, we value the Bible, and that you can know the Bible and, and not have the right heart either. So it's a, it's a balance here. But if you have the right knowledge, the right belief, that's going to follow with the right behavior. You believe, then you behave. So study the whole word of God, and you get that balance. Christ had victory in the middle of his suffering. That same mentality, to, to suffer willingly, to do the work of God, is what Peter's saying you and I need to have. So arm yourself with the same mind or the same attitude of Christ about suffering. And what was that? Well, Jesus was here to do the will of the Father. No matter what that meant, he suffered to the point of crucifixion. And though it looked like things were completely out of control, it looked like the bad guys won, we now know that God had the last word in the resurrection. Jesus is telling you to arm yourself with the same attitude. I am guilty so many times of complaining to God whenever I experience any kind of difficulty. I don't like to be uncomfortable at all. Man, I, I love comfort. And yet here, Peter's saying, arm yourself with the same mentality that Christ had. And Christ had this mentality, I'm going to do whatever it takes to accomplish the will of God. No matter what that means to me, I'm going to do it because I want to accomplish the will of God arm yourselves with the same way of thinking so that you can resist the temptation to quit following christ and fall back into sin you've got to be intentional about this think about how many people want to abandon their faith jump ship whenever something terrible happens think about it now i we, we're we're responsible for our own we are the only ones that are going to stand before god for for us Justin Hansen has to stand before God and answer for Justin Hansen. Enos Marshall's got to stand before God and answer for Enos Marshall. I, I, I'm not going to be held accountable <laughs> for Enos's life, and Enos won't be held accountable for my life. But, but think how many—in some ways, I, I want to blame the church in, in America right now because we have all these Christians that are hyper super sensitive. The moment anything bad happens in life, they don't understand how can God be good and and allow this to happen and that blah, 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 blah. I hear it a lot as a pastor. And, and of course, I'm a lot more patient when somebody comes in. And you can come in, and (laughs) I'm a safe place. But here's, here's the thing. Peter's going to tell us to arm ourselves with the same attitude and mind as Christ. Well, Christ was willing to suffer. So the biggest question that we should be asking whenever we face something difficult in our life and we're experiencing some type of suffering is what does God want to accomplish through this? What does God? When is the last time you heard an altar call? Hey, if you are going through a difficult time, come up because we want to pray with you that you can figure out what God wants to teach you through this experience. No, what do we usually teach? Come on up to the altar. Lay your problem down. We're going to believe God's going to change everything. Maybe the biggest thing God wants to change is you. Maybe that's it. Maybe God wants to change you. Maybe he doesn't want to change the circumstance because he's using the circumstance and he's trying to teach you something in the, in the whole process. Arm yourself with, with the same attitude that Christ had. NOW THAT'S WHAT THE SECOND PHRASE IN VERSE 1 MEANS. FOR WHOEVER HAS SUFFERED IN THE FLESH HAS CEASED FROM SIN. WHEN YOU GET THE MIND OF CHRIST, THEN you're, YOU'RE JUST DONE YIELDING HABITUALLY TO SIN. YOU'VE COMMITTED YOURSELF TO LIVING RIGHTEOUSLY. YOU DIE TO YOURSELF. YOU PICK UP YOUR CROSS. YOU FOLLOW CHRIST. THE IDEA IS THIS. YOU'VE GOT TWO CHOICES, AND ONLY TWO, BY THE WAY. THE PATH OF OBEDIENCE OR THE PATH OF SIN. BECAUSE TO FOLLOW JESUS MEANS YOU TAKE UP YOUR CROSS. For some people, like, like the folks that Peter's actually writing to, it meant that they were going to be persecuted. It means, it means that they hadn't faced death at this point, but that was just around the corner. For them, it was literally going to mean persecution. Saying yes to Jesus was, was going to bring suffering and persecution in their life, and the fact that they didn't abandon their faith, even when it was costing them, proves the genuineness of their confession. What about us today? Could she look different for every believer? But saying yes to Jesus means sacrifice. It does mean suffering. It means a sacrifice. And like I said, it looks different. Maybe God's asking me to give more than I want in my life. Maybe God is challenging me with how I use my finances, and he's saying, Justin, I want you to give more. I want you to give more to kingdom builders. I want you to give more to the church. I, I I want you to give more in your finances. Maybe I don't like the number God's giving me to give to to kingdom builders. (laughs) Maybe I don't want to give that kind of money. Maybe that that's difficult. Maybe it's a hard pill for me to swallow. Maybe I want a fishing cabin instead. I don't, just so you know. But let's be real, right? I mean, this is, this is the, con- when we say yes to Jesus, he's going to constantly ask us to deny ourselves. I, I get challenged. Hopefully, at, a, at 39 years old, I'm different than I was at 16 years old. And when, when God's challenging me to do something, hopefully at 39 years old, I'm, I'm more, am more willing to yield myself to God. I remember the first time that God asked me to give money to missions. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, grew up in a missions home, and we had our first missions convention. And my dad was the pastor, and he gave the push, uh, fill out your faith promise card. And I, I believe I was 11 years old. And I, how many of you know God speaks to kids? Yeah, he does. So 11 years old, God clearly spoke to me, he told me an amount to give to as a faith promise to missions, now I 'm just going to be really transparent with you. I didn't do that because that was my comic book money. So I remember specifically at 11 years old saying, oh, i'm not going to do that." and I wasn't w- willing to 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 submit that to God or to give that to God. We have all of our life we 're going to constantly being asked to to die to ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow Jesus. This isn't like when you come to the altar, you say yes to Jesus. That's the only thing you ever do. The rest of your life, you're dying to yourself. You're killing sin. You're killing selfishness. You're giving more of your life to Christ. He's asking more. You're growing more, right? Maybe, there, maybe for other people, their suffering provides them the temptation to take comfort in something else that they shouldn't take comfort in. Maybe saying yes to Jesus meant their spouse, spouse ridicules them. They're, they're suffering from loneliness. And they might be tempted to quit their marriage or even begin an affair with someone who pays attention to them. And Peter won't lie to you. Saying yes to Jesus, you choose to suffer. But he's telling you to suffer with hope in God rather than retreat back into sin because that proves the genuineness of your faith. Here's what you need to know. Our attitudes are weapons. Wrong attitudes will lead to defeat. The right attitude will lead to victory. I like what Dr. Jerry Vine says. He says, a believer living in sin is a terrible weapon in the hands of Satan. Arm yourself with the right attitude when it comes to what you experience in life. Know that when you say yes to Jesus, it's going to get uncomfortable at different times in your life. Just know that. Saying yes to Jesus doesn't mean your life is going to be this amazing, easy ride, and God's going to be your Santa Claus and provide whatever you want. In fact, it will probably be the opposite. You say yes to Jesus, you're going to constantly being persecuted by your, your unsaved loved ones and friends. It's going to cause problems at work, possibly. The world's not going to understand you, and Christ is going to keep asking more from you. That's what it is. That's what you say, yes. But have hope in, in, in what? In heaven and not the circumstances here on earth. Number two, arm yourself with the right outlook. We see this in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I want you to notice something in verse 2. You should no longer live the rest of your lives. So, so in short, in short, you need to live for the future and not for the moment. That's what Peter's saying. You need, to live, you need to live for the future and not for the moment. How many of you know life is short? I told you. It, just, it feels like yesterday I was in high school. Maybe because, well, for some of you, it was more like yesterday that I was in high school. 1999, I got my driver's license. Okay? 1999, I, I was cruising to Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Come on, you know, you liked them too. Christian Long, were you a Backstreet Boy fan? Come on, somebody my age. I was cruising in my 1992 Mercury Topaz with my bleached blonde hair, my Abercrombie t-shirt, cargo short pants. Those are coming back, by the way. (laughs) Life was good. The Mariners still had Ken Griffey Jr. (laughs) Then he left to Cincinnati the, the next year. Life was good. It just feels like yesterday that was my life, and today here I am. Feel like I got one foot in the grave. I'm getting older and older. Still got my hair, thank God. But, but uh, you know, everything has changed. Where did time go? James says this. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I just bought my wife flowers. We finally have a home to live in permanently. She said, go get some flowers. Maybe you should talk to Dale Ventling before you do it. He knows about that. No, I don't need to talk to Dale. Just go buy some flowers. Went and bought some flowers. Spent a lot of money on flowers. It was the kind you hang up from your porch. Hung them up. One day, we went out. After I hung them out, went out. One day. One day, I went out. We went to Skyline and then went to the park. I came back. All the flowers were dead. One day day who buys flowers that can't even survive one day but the the guy at the store told me you got to buy certain flowers some flowers you can't put in direct sunlight you got to water this i didn't know any of that one day i had spent like 200 on flowers and they were all dead okay what is your life you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes those beautiful flowers vanish so quick now Life is short, so don't spend it chasing after human passions. This is what Peter's telling us. And notice the contrast in this verse. You have two choices. Pursue human passions or the will of God. Either you choose to live for human passions, the will of man, or you choose to live for God. God, your will, not mine. Remember, remember uh, what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. God's will, not mine. He was willing to do whatever it took if it was God's will. Now, I love that old song, change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. What a powerful song. This should be our desire to go wherever, to do whatever, to give whatever, to be whatever God wants me to be. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Those are the words of Jesus best thing you could do with your life and too many times we still try to live for ourselves living for the flesh and not necessarily obedience to the will of God the best thing you can do is surrender your life to God what is your life goal what is your life ambition as a pastor, I always get people seeking direction from God in their life. Pastor Justin, help me find God's will for me in this area. Who should I marry? Where should I go to college? Where should I live? What house should I buy? I, want, I always lead them back to the Bible because the Bible has some things that are universal for every Christian to do, and I'll tell them, start there. You want to find God's will for your life, start there. Listen, here's some of the things that are, are God's will for your life. Number one, repent. Bible says that 2 Peter 3 9 the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance repent that's God's will for your life how about this one give thanks Thessalonians 5 18 give thanks in all circumstances in what circumstances in all circumstances give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you here's here's the will of God too. do good what the Bible says 1 Peter two fifteen. for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people here's another one abstain from sexual immorality that's God's will for your life 1 Thessalonians 4 3 for this is the will of God your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality how about this one seek the kingdom of God Matthew 6:33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't tell me you're looking for God's will if you don't want to follow God's plan and will for your life which is clearly taught in the Bible. Start there. Align yourself with the will of God and once you do that, once once we do what the Bible tells us to do then God is going to begin to lead us individually and personally in our lives. Too many people are neglecting God's word and then waiting wanting God's will. It's not how it works doesn't work like that. You can't neglect God's word and then want his will for your life. Arm yourself with this outlook. God, I want your will, even if it costs me everything, even if my friends don't like me, if I lose my job, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be obedient to you. That's the outlook that you need to have in your life. Number three, arm yourself with the right behavior. We see this in verse three. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what The Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawlessness. So be doing the right things. I'm not going to go through every single one of these words because I think you pretty much get it. But do the right things. Don't do what you used to do, but do the right things. Notice verse 3 says 4. You see that in verse three? at the end of verse two, it says, "So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God." Now read verse three again. He names specific sins we lived in before we were saved. He's describing their former lifestyle. He's saying, "If you are going to go going to be able to stand against the persecution and the opposition, that you can't go back living like you used to live." 2nd corinthians five seventeen says therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here you become a new creation you have a new life a new heart a new love a new perspective when you accept jesus i i sometimes struggle with testimony nights now just wait and let me explain sometimes i struggle with testimony nights I love testimony nights and I'd love to see the church get back to it but sometimes I'll struggle because I'll I'll I feel like the past sometimes is glorified in a testimony you know it's almost like some people we like to share our stories so much will revel in what we used to do that we're glorifying our past uh, remember that the best best of your time is when you use the rest of your time to invest your time in doing the will of God let me say that again remember the best of your time is when you use the rest of your time to invest your time in doing the will of God I could go through every behavior that was listed but I think you get it the basic idea here is that we we wasted our time before Jesus before we knew Jesus we were wasting our time doing stupid stuff the world is full of people who do stupid things just like this list says man all you got to do is go to a secular university you'll see what I'm talking about I've had the privilege of leading some of these kind of people to Jesus and it's amazing to see the life transformation. And what I've noticed is that someone who's saved will take on the attitude of enough. It's different between first generation believers sometimes and second generation believers. That I love when I meet first generation believers because they've been saved from a past and they don't want to go back. Sometimes, you know, I grew up in the church and and I never, I never wandered. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but I, I've, I've also felt that there were times in my life where I didn't have a strong enough testimony because I, I didn't do any of those things and never did. You know, I, I love first generation believers, people who just got saved because they just have had enough of their old life. They don't want anything to do with their old life. It's the story of my dad. My dad, used to love hearing him share his testimony, never glorified what he would do. We grew up in a Christian home and walked away from, from God at a, a young age and lived a life that was contrary to the Bible. Did what he wanted to do. And there was this turning point, that, you know, thanks to a praying wife who just wouldn't stop praying for him where he accepted Jesus on an Easter service. But there came that time in my, my dad's life where he had decided, I've had enough of the past. I don't want it. And I remember he had all these crazy things that uh, today weren't necessarily maybe spiritual, but our our life was affected because he had had enough and he would go in our room and throw away like our He-Man toys, our He-Man underwear, anything that reminded him of his past because he had just had enough. Is there anything wrong with He-Man underwear? No. No, there wasn't anything wrong with He-Man underwear or watching He-Man, but he had had enough and for some reason it was reminding him of his past and he just, he He just changed. He was a completely different person. Some some who are here today can relate to one or maybe even maybe even to all of these activities that Peter's listed. And then there are some who can't relate to a single one. You grew up in a Christian family just like me, and you never you never took part in any of these activities. Told you before, my testimony is that I've never walked away from Jesus, never gone astray. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect. You can ask my mom. (laughs) I'm not perfect. But I've known God from the time I was very little. Just like when we prayed over these kids today, we prayed that they would know God from a young age, never walk away from God. My testimony is, is, is just that. I have been introduced to Jesus, and I never cared for what the world had to offer. I've pursued him my whole life. And my testimony is that God can keep a person from a young age through a lifetime. That's the testimony we want for all of the kids going through New Heights Church. If God can do that, that's powerful. That's powerful. What an amazing testimony when you can get a bunch of people up here who say, my whole life I've known the goodness of God and I've never walked away from it. That's a testimony. I love hearing how God turned the life of a sinner around, and I love hearing that God, through his power, can keep a life early on. Peter's saying that no matter how much time you spent for the flesh, no matter how much time you spent for the devil, it's enough. It's enough. Whether it was a lifetime or you got saved as a child, it's enough. Whatever you spent away from God is enough. If you were a womanizer, it's enough. If you were an alcoholic, enough. If you were a thief, enough. Were you a gossip, enough. Were you a Christian by name only, enough. You want to make the most of your time, count your past as the past. Over, done, enough. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to live a life of holiness. This is the journey you're on now. Okay? Okay? Number four, arm yourself with the right affiliations. Verse four. I guess we're going to do five today. Verse, verse four, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and then malign, and they malign you. Notice the word surprise. The word is astonished. They're perplexed. They don't understand you. They don't get you. Unsaved people do not understand when God changes a life. They don't get it. You're all friends. They don't understand you. They don't get what's happened. They can't understand why you would just stop doing these things, and because they don't have a hope that bego- be- goes beyond this world, that's why they don't get what you've done. They don't have that hope that you have. So naturally, they try to get the most out of this world. They want to feel good. They want to chase their dreams. They want to make the most most of what they have here on this earth. Earth, but. They, they're going to tell you, do what you want, spend your money on yourself, on your kids, make a bucket list. Well, where else is there but earthly happiness? That's what they're thinking, but for you, you get it. This isn't it, the end. You understand that. When you don't live that way, it disturbs them because it tells them the whole basis of their life is off. You ever think about that? No wonder we're offensive. We're pretty much telling them the whole basis of their life is wrong and they will malign you, is what Peter says. They, to them, they think, who, would give, who, who gives their money away? Who signs a faith promise at a kingdom builders convention and say, I'm going to give 10% of my salary to missionaries? Who does that? Who does it? Who says, I'm willing, not only willing to give 10% of my salary as a tithe back to the church, but I love to give? Who in the world does that? They don't understand us. They don't understand why we do the things we do. and i'm i'm telling you you have to arm yourselves with the right affiliation because you know when i when I felt called into ministry, I went to Northwest University, a great school. That's where I met Pastor Enos. It was an awesome experience, and I went there for two years, and then I transferred to Central Bible College, and there were many times at, in my experience at the university where I was questioning my call and wondering if I was really called to go into ministry, and my advisor actually over and over and repeatedly tried to convince me to, to not go into ministry and to He tried to convince me to to go get a degree in business and and use that degree in business and you can make a difference in the world that way. And, And over and over and over tried to convince me to do that. When I had made the transfer to Central Bible College, there was a different environment. I was surrounded by all kinds of students who felt the same call and the same commitment to go into full-time ministry. Every single professor who was teaching me felt called into ministry and, and knew the importance of those who were called into ministry. So the difference was when I was ready to quit and jump, jump uh, on my call to, into ministry, nobody would let me, not at CBC. There was a difference, and, and I'm not telling you at all, I'm not saying that you, you, you can't hang out with unbelievers. I'm not telling you that after church today, you go to the restaurant and ask the, the hostess, I, is, do you have a redeemed section and an unredeemed? I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying your closest association should be right here in this building should be fellow Christians. You're a new creation with a new family, new associations. Psalms 1-1 says, Blessed is one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Be careful who your closest friends are. You're not at home in this world anymore. This is not our home. And I would, I, 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 I feel I can say this, I'd rather walk a lonely road with Jesus than be without him in a crowd. Number five, and I'll close with this, arm yourself with the right guarantee, verse five through six. Verse five says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse six, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who, were, who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. They, it's those who walk according to the flesh, judgment is coming. That verb, they will give an account, it means to pay back. They'll be paid back. In fact, people who do that, who malign believers are amassing a debt to God that they will spend all eternity paying back. You can absolutely be sure of that, verse 5 is saying. The day of judgment and reckoning is coming. They will be required to pay. This verb is a bookkeeping term. Okay, God has it on his books and they're going to pay. Scripture describes that payment, by the way. It's in the Bible. You can read it in Matthew 18 and Revelation chapter 20. There's coming a time when they will pay and they will give an account to the one who's ready to judge when they stand at the great white throne judgment. He says this, the one who judges will judge the living and the dead. The living, those presently alive in Peter's time. The dead, those who already had died. They're all going to be judged, all of them. Romans 3, 19, Paul writes this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. They won't escape judgment. They will be struck before a holy God, before the judgment throne without defense, without an advocate, without an excuse, and they will be judged. Their day will come. This should break your heart, by the way. It should break your heart knowing that this day is coming. But you need to listen to me very carefully because that, what this verse is saying is true. The Bible makes it very clear that if you reject Jesus and live according to your own way, that one day you will stand before God and you will be judged before God. One day, every human being will give an account of their life to God. I'm telling you the truth because that's what this text is all about. One day you will die. You understand that, right? PBS documentary just estimated that a total of 107 billion people have been born on earth. Six billion are alive right now, which means that 93.5% of all people who have ever been born are dead. They're living in eternity and all their earthly accomplishments mean nothing. Only the kingdom of God and what they did for God matters now. Steve Jobs When approaching death, started thinking about it a lot because if all that happens when you die is you go into the ground, nothing he had accomplished would matter to him anymore. Oh, he was right. He was right. He's correct, 100% correct. All that matters now is where he stands with Jesus. That's it. And then in verse six, he reminds his readers of those who are dead who have been martyred for their faith. They were falsely judged by men. They were persecuted. They were killed for their faith. Think about this. The worst thing that could happen to us as Christians is actually the best thing. If we die because of our faith in Jesus, we go to heaven, our hope is in heaven, and we have nothing to fear. They can kill our body. They can't kill our soul. And the moment you trust in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, you enter into that life, and it isn't just quantity, it's quality. It's quality. It's this new dimension where you're really living with joy and peace, even in the difficulty and the hardship. We're gonna be with God for an eternity, so we don't need to fear And those who were dead when Peter preached this, they were alive before God getting their reward. So don't, listen to me, don't just spend your time, invest your time. You hear me, people? Don't just spend your time. Invest your time. Make your life count. Make time count. The best of your time is when you use the rest of your time to invest your time in doing the will of God. And this could be the time. This today could be the time you make that decision. If Jesus doesn't come, I'm going to die. You understand that, right? I'm gonna die. If Jesus doesn't come, we all are going to die. We may be dead physically, but the Bible says in this verse that we will be alive according to the spirit. D.L. Moody said, one fair morning, you're gonna read in the newspaper that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe it. I will be more alive than I have ever been before. Man, the believer's de- delivered from the final effects of sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. Yesterday, I used to live a certain way, but I don't live that way anymore. I don't live that way anymore. And I've got good news for you. You don't have to live that way anymore either. So this morning, you can have absolute assurance that if you died, you're going to go to heaven. How do you know that? Do you have assurance that if you died right now, you would go to heaven? Some of you are here, you haven't been born again, you haven't trusted Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say, I'm not asking you if you go to church, I'm not asking if you've been baptized, I'm asking if, you've, if you have the life of God in your soul. Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Nobody has a lease on life, nobody can guarantee that they're gonna be here tomorrow. Nobody knows, are you ready to die? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Are your sins forgiven? And if not, why, why? I want to give you an opportunity right here, right now to do that. And all, all you have to do is say, I'm tired of living for myself, and I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. You ask Jesus into your heart. You ask him to forgive your sins. You ask him to be your Savior. You just say, I want to follow you. I want to receive what you have to give me. I want to receive the forgiveness of my sins, the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. You're here this morning, you haven't done that. Now is the day of salvation. Today is your day. That's what you have a chance to do. If you are listening online, you can make that decision. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, we love you.)